0: Hey, y'all, welcome to the Love 6 Scribe podcast. This week, we are going to be talking about something that's a pretty hot topic and can be controversial. And it's something that's really focused on, particularly in the charismatic thinking about deliverance is what we're going to be discussing today. Now, this is going to be, again, another one of those longer podcasts. So if you need to stop it and come back to it, that's fine. And I understand that some people may not like what I have to say about this. They're going to say, well, I have this experience or that experience. I understand that all of us have our own varying opinions, but ultimately our opinion is not the standard of truth. What the standard of truth is, according to Christians, is the word of God. That is the standard that we stand on and we take everything back to Scripture and we measure it to make sure that it can pass the test of sound doctrine. What I did was I actually used something to measure this against that was something that was really popular in the circles I ran in. So I understand that this is a broad topic. It's one that cannot be covered completely in the scope of this podcast. So there's a lot of different areas that we can get into with this. I'm not going to be covering that. There's no way for me to cover that. If you were to go to outside sources other than scripture in our day and age, you would find dozens and dozens of videos surrounding deliverance, spiritual warfare, etc. For example, I did a quick search on Amazon, and when I looked in the advanced search and just typed in the word deliverance, there were 10,000 results that popped up for the word deliverance for different books that you could purchase on this topic. If you were to type in spiritual warfare, that doubles. You're going to see 20,000 results. Now, whether all those are Christian or not, that's <laughs> that's left to be Said, but probably some of them are not. But you're going to see a lot of the mixture in there are coming from people that are professing Christians that are saying this is what it is about spiritual warfare. And you're also going to find some book titles that are based on biblical spiritual warfare. And so today we're going to be talking about deliverance. And the topic today will center on biblical deliverance in correlation to deliverance, as well as the topic taught in many charismatic churches, which would deal with Christian deliverance. There are teachings out there that Christians, even after they're born again, still have to be delivered from demons. And so we're going to discuss this and we're going to use a particular book That I read and is that circulates in the circles that I was in that's popular and we're going to test it against scripture. So let me begin by saying this demons are real. There are people that are going to push back on me and they're going to say, well, you're saying that demons don't exist. You're saying that Satan isn't real and you're saying that demonic possession is not real. I am not saying that at all, nor will you ever hear me say that. Demons are real. Satan is real. Demonic possession or the indwelling of demons in people is real. Outward oppression is real. This is not up for debate here. What is up for debate and challenge is the notion that born-again Christians who are sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit can be indwelt by a demon and need deliverance done. I have heard professing believers state that they need a deliverance done on more than one occasion. So when I say deliverance, I'm talking about physical manifestations taking place. Is this biblical? That's the main question that we should have. Whenever we're encountering a teaching that is trying to use scripture, uh, particularly scripture that's misappropriated out of context and trying to use it to teach something, whether it is in context or not in context, we should be taking it back to scripture to make sure that that is what the Bible is actually saying. So whenever I had to do podcasts on some of these topics that can be controversial or can be Calling into questions and things, I want you to ask Is this biblical? Is this particular teaching biblical? What does the Bible have to say about it? Because that is, again, the standard that we go to to test and make sure that something is truth. And the goal of this podcast, as with all the others that I do, is to get you thinking and going back to scripture in context. One more thing that I will say is I also will not be appealing to my own experiences regarding this topic because my experiences are not the barometer of truth. So what we're going to do is we're going to be using one book that was well known in the circles I was in. It was called Pigs in the Parlor. And this book states that it is a practical guide to deliverance. Now, I want to cover some main areas in this book, some areas of concern based on teaching. I want to look at what scripture has to say about Christian deliverance and how we as Christians are to engage in spiritual warfare. So, Pigs in the Parlor, you may have heard of it. You may have not heard of it. If you haven't, it's okay. This book was written, first published in 1973. Uh, When you look on Amazon, It has 3,365 reviews. It has a 4.8 out of 5, uh, among other books, but this one in particular where it's an older book, I know this is one that some people have heard... uh, Number of people mention it. This book covers deliverance in 23 chapters, ranging from reasons for demonic in- entry, steps to deliverance and retaining deliverance, manifestations, self deliverance, deliverance ministry to children, binding and loosing, choosing your deliverance team, demonic groupings, and even schizophrenia. Some of these things we're going to touch on a little bit, where there's 23 chapters, we can't get into everything. I can't go in depth with a lot of this stuff just for time's sake, but I am going to touch on some things that I found interesting or rather even more so a bit of a concern when reading through this book. And yes, I did read through this book and I took notes and highlighted and noted some things and tested some things and according to scripture that I found. Uh, this book makes it clear on page 136 of the Q&A section that Christians can be and are indwelt by demons but they create a dichotomy in this book between the spirit and soul to get around the issue of a Christian being indwelt by a demon. If you've been in some of these teachings, there is the teaching that there is a trichotomy, if you will. There's a a body and a soul and a spirit. Whereas in scripture, when you look, there is the body, which the body is part of the person. I know that there are some teachings that Uh, almost in the Gnostic type way that try to dispel the physical body and to diminish its value and say, well, it's just the physical body. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I would just point you to scripture such as in Matthew in the gospels, when Jesus says, do not fear the one that can kill the body, but fear the one who can cast body and soul into hell. The body is going to be resurrected. Our physical bodies are not just shells. They're not just tents for our our real self to be in, our physical body will be resurrected at the end of time. And either one of two things will be happening. Either we will be in glorification unto the Lord or the physical body along with spirit slash soul will be cast into hell for eternal judgment. So just kind of pointing that out there for you. The physical body does matter. Whereas when you see in scripture, there's a lot of times that the Greek word soul and spirit are interchanged, interchangeably used. So there is a debate. There's some people on one side that believe that there is a three part person, which they try to equate that just like the Trinity, whereas there's a lot of people that hold to a, a dichotomous type person where their body, soul, slash spirit is interchangeable. At the same time, the, they state in this book that though an unbeliever can be indwelt by a demon, the authors never ministered deliverance to an unbeliever. And they asked what hope there would be in keeping the demons out and that they saw no reason to administer deliverance to an unbeliever unless directed by the Lord. We're going to come back to this later because this was an interesting and almost seemed a double-minded uh, concept that was presented in the book. When I read this, it really didn't make sense to me. And the Bible is pretty clear about what we are to do as born-again believers to the unbelievers. So we'll come back to this later here in just a bit. This book also talks about the trespassing of demons and Christians and that demons have no legal right to indwell a Christian. This book states that the emphasis in it is upon personal deliverance. This is a direct quote out of the book. To free oneself, this is another thing that they mentioned, to free oneself. So one question I would like to pose here and to get you thinking about is, how can we free ourselves, and why would we need a Savior if that were possible? Now, there's going to be some pushback on that. They're going to say, well, you have Jesus Christ, and you can do self-deliverance. But self-deliverance isn't even taught in Scripture. That is making us the Savior and using God as a byproduct in a way to to be delivered or saved. And that's not how that works at all so that's just a question i would pose sincerely i ask this question you know how can we free ourselves that i think that that's a valid question to ask if someone's going to state in in a book that we can free free ourselves there is instruction in the book several times to speak to the demons out loud, even when not in the room with that person. It is encouraged in this book to speak to the demons mentally and not in the presence of the person who is believed to be demonized. That They encourage that if you're in the room with somebody that you feel like is, is demonized, they encouraged in this book that if you were in the presence of someone that was demonized, that you wouldn't even have to say anything to them. You could actually mentally say things in your mind without saying them out loud to the demons or you could geographically be in another place and say something so when we look at that let's test this against scripture okay because scripture is our standard as, as born again believers we do not see this demonstrated in scripture when demons were addressed they were addressed out loud and they were addressed directly to the person they were indwelling. There was never any of this, let's just speak into the spiritual ether and command demons and they're going to listen to us because we have authority and we can speak into the air and they're going to hear us. There was none of that. Jesus didn't do that. The apostles didn't do that. If they were casting a demon out of someone, they addressed that person with the demon directly to them in person. They didn't mentally think about it. They didn't do that. They addressed the person directly. They addressed the demon that was in the person directly, and they didn't do it from a different geographical place. To believe that we can speak to demons mentally or that we can speak to demons in another geographical location, that seems to imply omniscience on the part of the demon, which is only an attribute to God. There is a tendency in these writings, in these books, and in these circles to blame the devil for behavior. You know, I saw this in this book, and I'll be honest with you, coming out of these circles, that was something that was done a lot, whether it's inadvertently done or or advertently done. People tend to blame the devil more than they take responsibility for their own actions. It's always well the devil made me do it or this there was a spirit behind this operating in this or a spirit behind that. And in this there seems to be an avoidance of personal responsibility and repentance when addressing sin. Sin is an issue. We need to come back to understanding that we have 3 enemies or opponents that we face in this world. It's the world, the flesh and the devil. The Bible is clear in laying that out that we have three opposing forces so to speak that we come against as believers the world the flesh and the devil that's the opponents that we face it's not just the devil we have to find a quote-unquote balance in this it's not all the devil there's also our flesh that is hostile to the things of the spirit and there's also the worldly things that we are in this world we're not of it but we're still in this world We're in a fallen world, and there is sin, there's the presence of sin that we still are having to contend with that's in this world. So there is a tendency to blame the devil for behavior, and we can't do that. We've got to take responsibility. At the same time, we can't just say, well, the devil doesn't exist, so it's just all your flesh, or it's just the world. No, there is a real devil but we have to make sure that we're understanding what our opposition is properly and to know how to combat it as believers, to understand true biblical spiritual warfare. There is a statement that each family member in this book should recommit to Christ and that deliverance should follow this. That kind of seems out of order, that you recommit and then you have to be delivered. So what kind of power does Christ have if, if you have to recommit and then... Be delivered after you've recommitted to Christ. Just again, it's just some thoughts I'm throwing out there. With regards to speaking in tongues in this book, it is stated that trouble with this is caused by demonic interference. I would point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. I encourage you to read that passage. These are questions that Paul is asking to the Corinthian church. These are rhetorical questions that are meant and understood to have the answer of no to them. When you look, I believe in verse 31, and when Paul says... Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no. Not everyone speaks in tongues. There is a teaching out there that will try to say that you are not born again unless you speak in tongues. That is not scripturally sound teaching. That is nowhere to be taught in scripture. There's another time that maybe we can talk about what the speaking in tongues look like in accordance with scripture. And to show you what Acts 2 look like and other things, but that's for another time and another day. But I encourage you, go look up 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 30 through 31 with the questions that Paul is asking and read that entire chapter in context. As we get back to this book, it is stated that the fruit of the Spirit is targeted by the enemy, that the fruit of the Spirit can be hindered by demons. So here's another question I want to pose. How can a demon defeat the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is cultivated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's not an energy. He's not a force. He's not a positive vibe. He's not. He is the third person of the Trinity. He can be grieved. He can be quenched he can he he, he induces us with power he can helps us to be conformed to the image of Christ so how can a demon defeat the fruit of the spirit if we lack the fruit of the spirit in our lives then it may benefit us to do what Paul instructed the Corinthian church to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 let's take a look at that real quick Second Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith test yourselves Or do you realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So as believers in Christ, we should be willing to test ourselves to make sure that we are of the faith. How do we do that? Well, we stay in the Word. We stay in, that's one of the main things that we are to do as believers in Christ. We find ourselves going back to the Word of God to make sure that what we understand and what we are being taught is so. I mentioned self-deliverance a minute ago. I want to read a couple of passages a couple of short passages to you out of this book pigs in the parlor that has to deal with self-deliverance and um, I'm just gonna be real frank with you about this when I read this I read read it a couple of times rereading it and it was it's troubling to read this because this is not taught in scripture against again self-deliverance is not a biblical teaching this is something that has been man-made but self-deliverance is not anything that's a biblical approach to what we are to do as Christians, and especially with what they're describing here. So on page 58 of Pigs in the Parlor, under the chapter of Self-Deliverance, it says, quote, The only difference is that the person delivered is his own minister. He will, by prayer, make his confession to God that he wants no part of the devil and desires the Lord to set him free. The demons will be addressed and called by name one by one. After he has commanded several times for a specific demon to go in the name of Jesus, he will begin to expel his breath forcefully a few times, or to initiate a cough from as deep as possible. That in itself, when you see this, when you when you're hearing this, and if you if you read this book, that should, in and of itself should. Throw up a red flag to you when you're seeing something that's being taught like this, and you can say, "I don't ever remember reading that we're supposed to do this as believers." The apostles' teaching—they never taught this in Scripture to other believers. They never taught this when doing spiritual warfare. This should throw up a major red flag. Of this is not something that a believer, a believer in Christ, should be doing to conjure up, shall I say, to conjure up a demon. And to get them out of your body. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. About what a believer in Christ. And address some of these things. Because I do believe that there are people again that can be demon possessed. I do not believe that a Christian can be indwelt by a demon. And I'll uh, talk to you about that in just a minute. Because based on scripture. What it says. And also I, I do not believe that deliverance ministry should be done for Christians. And uh, again, we'll talk about that in just a minute. I know some people are going to disagree with me with that. That's okay. I would just encourage you, if you do disagree, that if you do reach out to me, that you need to provide scripture in context in order to validate and not someone else's writing, not someone else's books, to say what they're not your personal experiences, because our experiences can be deceptive. Just like someone that goes to a psychic. If we were to talk to someone that went to a psychic, we would never say to them, well, because you're telling me that your experience was real, and that that psychic knew things about you, that that's valid, then then that's true. Because you're saying that your experience was validated and that it was real, then that means that it's authentic, right? No, that does not mean it's authentic. As we look at the chapter 14 with the ministry to children, this one in particular, this chapter was this chapter was more concerning to me than some of the other chapters, especially some of the things that I read in here. So I'm going to read a few of the things I highlighted that, again, I could not trace back to scripture, and then even some of the things that were talked about with their personal testimonies in ministering to deliverance of children was rather uh, concerning. So they state in this book that they've already made it Clear And it's already been shown, according to them, that demon spirits are able to gain entrance to a fetus and to children. We have no documentation in Scripture that this is so. so. And then they say, because of this, it is obvious that there should be deliverance for children. And then they say, children are quite easily delivered. Since the spirits have not been there very long, they are not as deeply embedded in the flesh. Again, this is extra biblical teaching. This is, this is man's uh, opinion. This is not based on fact. This is not based on biblical sound doctrine. This is based on teaching that someone else has come up up with, and they're stating their opinion, and they're stating it as fact. They share a couple of different testimonies of a young Christian couple that brought in their three-month-old child for ministry. A three-month-old child for ministry, y'all. Think about that. They're also saying that a a little four-year-old girl was brought in for deliverance, And they begin to, this one actually in particular, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this one, they actually go into detail that they call her Mary. And they begin to talk to the demon and say, I know you don't like it, demons. This is on page 68. Because I am exposing you and I have knowledge of you. Mary has been tormented by you from before she was born. While she was still in her mother's womb, some of you entered her. But God has said you cannot indwell her any longer. They go on on the same page to say the demons were making Mary struggle to get out of my lap, although I was still able to hold her rather loosely in my arms. But then they say, eventually I had to resort to putting one of her legs between mine, thus holding her in a vice and bodily restraining her. Again, some troubling things that are in here that should bring us some pause to think about, okay, with children, how are we to minister To someone who we believe has a a demon indwelling them, but again, this book is not talking about unbelievers, as they made that as I mentioned that, and they made that clear in their Q and A section in their book. This book is directed towards Christians who need deliverance. And then near the very end of the book, they even elaborate on schizophrenia. There's a whole chapter. There's even a diagram that they lay out. There's a picture that they make of the two hands and every finger along with the palms and even the wrists have different demons that can be associated with them and it usually begins with the middle fingers one of them begins with rejection they say it usually schizophrenia starts with rejection and then it also morphs into rebellion and then all the other little fingers uh, along with it and then with the palms and such have all these demons that are like networked together and then there's a hurricane picture in the middle of this i know this sounds really weird but i'm just explaining to you what's in this book because frankly, I, again, it's extra biblical teaching, it's not sound doctrine, this is, this is not based on fact. This is based on opinion and it's based on someone saying that this is their experience and they're saying that God showed them this, then we're saying basically that the scripture is not sufficient in delivering someone from schizophrenia. That's what's basically being implied here. So, schizophrenia is laid out here, and then at the in between the two palms and the bottom below the palms is the real self. And the real self is the one that is supposed to manifest Jesus. That's supposed to, when they're getting delivered, which they say in this book, it could take months to years for this person to get delivered from these demons through their deliverance ministry. But they're saying that. The real self is to emerge That's to that so that Jesus can actually come in and do what he's supposed to do. And then there's a hurricane in the, in the upper part above the hands that they say the hurricane is this person creating the storms uh, through their relationships and such. And that causes them to not get freely delivered. And they say that almost every person who has come to them for deliverance had varying degrees of the network of demons causing schizophrenia. That being said, again, we didn't go through everything, but now I want to get to biblical deliverance. So we've talked a little bit about what this book, for example, has to say. And that, like I said, again, there's thousands upon thousands of books that are about spiritual warfare, deliverance ministry, demonology, uh, different spirits, you name it. I mean, you're going to find a slew of them out there. And frankly, the books are probably going to contradict themselves. Someone's going to say they have the answer to this. Another person's going to say, this is the answer that I have. This is what God showed me. It's going to contradict. They're going to say different, different things you can do. Well, what is a Christian to do? That's the question. So the last half of this we're going to spend in biblical deliverance. So Luke 4, 18 is a really good passage to go to. I, I did a little bit of digging. I'm not a theologian, but I did a little bit of digging and looked up the word. I wanted to know the Greek word, if how many times it occurred in scripture for deliverance. The actual word for deliverance in the Greek, I found it in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And this is the passage where Jesus, just to highlight, uh, just to quickly summarize this, Jesus is reading the scroll from Isaiah 61, and this is part of a prophecy that Isaiah gave, and he's talking about Christ. He's talking about the Messiah. So Jesus is reading this before the people, and he's reading Isaiah to them, and then he sits down in the seat after he reads the scroll. So, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, when you read this in context, the, he's to proclaim the good news to the poor. What does that mean, the poor? Well, the poor are the spiritually poor, those that are poor in sin that's a spiritual sickness he came to deliver us from sickness of sin he sent us to proclaim liberty to the captives sin binds us and enslaves us recovery of sight to the blind we're spiritually blind we can't see the truth and he said at liberty those who are oppressed we are oppressed by sin we can be oppressed now Christians can be outwardly oppressed and outwardly attacked by demons but they're not going to be indwelt by demons and again we're going to talk about that in just a minute so, Luke chapter four verse eighteen. The Greek word for deliverance here means forgiveness and remission. It required Christ's sacrifice as punishment of sin. It is a putting away of sin and deliverance from its power. The sin has power over us as unbelievers. It is it enslaves us. We are slaves to sin when we are in an unbelief and we are dead. We are dead in our trespasses, according to Ephesians two, and we um, by nature were children of wrath and we are being enslaved by sin. And in context here, the man is presented as a prisoner of war that is a captive brought on by Adam's sin and his own sin. Now, freedom involves a radical change in our nature and from the power over sin. That's what Christ does when we we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and that God raised him from the dead. We shall be saved according to Romans 10, 9 and 10 then he sets us free from the power of sin over us. And we change from being a servant or slave to sin to a servant of God. There's a change that takes place there. We're no longer a slave to sin or a servant to sin. We are now a servant of God. So when we look at the epistles, I want to just point this out here as I was thinking about deliverance and what some of these some circles teach about deliverance ministry and that Christians need to go through deliverance ministry. They need demons cast out of them. When we look at the epistles, we find that there is no teaching about casting out demons or deliverance ministry. It's not taught. When you look at the epistles and what the letters were that were sent to the churches in the early church, they there was nothing in there that the apostles addressed. Okay, Christians, believers in Christ, I know that we said that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, but guess what? A demon's going to come and dwell you, so this is what you need to do in order to get rid of it. That's never mentioned. Nothing like that. There is no teaching found in the Bible concerning believers being indwelt by demons. There is a reference to Matthew chapter 12 verses 43 and 44 in this book, Pigs in the Parlor, and it's in an attempt to validate deliverance. However, when you look at that scripture in context, notice that the demon comes back to a house that is empty. So there was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit when Jesus talked about this. So that cannot be used as a valid point for deliverance ministry because we as believers in Christ the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. We are not an empty house. If we are truly born-again believers sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are not empty houses that a demon can come back into. And think about the fact, again, the epistles mention nothing about deliverance ministry for born-again believers. We battle against three enemies, as I said, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And a few scriptures to point out to you here That will help you, I believe. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 tells us that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness. Now keep in mind, when Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians, he wrote it to believers. These these letters were not to unbelievers. These letters were to the church. And he tells them, he encourages them and reminds them, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness. Though we can be tempted, attacked, tricked, and opposed, we cannot be indwelled or controlled by demons we cannot. And that's why we need to stay in the word. We pray. We do not forsake the gathering of the assembly. We go to corporate, to corporate gatherings to be around other fellow believers. We're spending time in the word. We're praying. We're seeking after the things of God, not in a works-based type way for our faith, but because that we want to know God more and we want to walk in his ways and understand the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 and 20 talks about that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not cohabit with demons. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 through 16. This passage says, "Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols?" For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God will not cohabit with a demon in a born again believer. 1 John chapter four, verse four. God is in the believer and Satan is in the world. What does that say? What does 1 John 4, four say? Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. It doesn't say greater is he who is in you than the demon that's also within you. It says greater is he who is in you In you than he who is in the world. The Spirit of God dwells within us as believers in Christ, and demons do not. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14 tells us that we are sealed and kept by the Holy Spirit. The New Testament is silent on how to handle a demon possessed believer. Why is that? Just think about that. Why is the New Testament silent about how to handle a demon possessed believer? There's got to be a reason for that. The teachings of the New Testament when dealing with demons is consistent. Every time, when you read James 4, 7, resist the devil and he shall flee from you. We are to resist. We find out in Eph- when we read Ephesians 6, we are to put on the full armor of God. When we're putting on the armor of God, we're, it's actually talking, when you think about the different aspects of it, it's really about putting on Christ. And meditating on who he is and the attributes of him and to be strengthened by Christ. Because in and of ourselves, we have no power and no strength against the devil. And I'll just tell you this right now. And I used to be one of these people that thought oh, the devil's afraid of me. You know, when I wake up in the morning, he trembles. When I put the devil is not afraid of me. I am nothing to, to him except something that he can try to to take out because of being a believer in Christ. The devil is not afraid of us as believers, y'all. We're not God. He fears God. So to put ourselves on par with God is not wisdom and it's not biblical. We are the created beings. We worship and reverence God. God is God and we are not. So we have to be careful, cautious about this verbiage that we throw around a lot. Well, the devil's afraid of me. I'll just tell you right now, I used to think that and now I realize that was very foolish on my part. The devil is not afraid of me. Now, I'm not afraid of the devil because I know who Christ is, and I know that he has defeated the enemy. He defeated the enemy. I only have victory through Christ. That's the only way that I can have victory. And the Word consistently tells us as believers in Christ how to engage spiritual warfare. Resist the devil, and he shall flee from you. That doesn't mean that it's because of you that he flees. It's because you're trusting in Christ. That's why he flees. Because when you don't give him a foothold, then he can't do anything. When you're trusting in the Lord and you're, you're meditating on the Word and you're having the Word written on your heart and you know what the Word says and that it's abiding in you and that you're abiding in the truth, then you're not going to give the devil a foothold and you're going to be able to resist him. When you're putting on the armor of God, this is not some mystical thing that you're doing. This is, med- again, meditating on the Word of God, what it says. And I'll point out something else, too, in Ephesians 6. You know, for all the talk about the armor of God, what does it say to do after you put on the armor? To stand. It doesn't say anything about being in battle and raging and engaging. Yes, it talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and there's there's images imagery there that Paul is providing for what's going on. That we do wrestle against these principalities and powers and rulers over this present darkness and spiritual wickedness and heavenly places. But he tells us to stand, to put on your armor and to stand and to pray. That is what we are to do. We as believers in Christ, our spiritual warfare is to know what the word is. That's the only offensive thing that's mentioned in the Ephesians six and the, and that's not even part of the armor. The sword is not part of the armor, but it's the offensive part, which is the word of God. That is the thing that is able to cut. That is the thing that's able to cut through the lies and the deception and the darkness. That is what brings the truth. And we are to stand and we are to resist and we are to pray. That doesn't sound very exciting, That doesn't sound like something that's going to sell a lot of books for spiritual warfare. But guess what? That is biblical. That is how we engage in spiritual warfare. And we trust that our victor, Jesus Christ, has already won the battle. And that he strengthens us and gives us grace that is sufficient to help us to endure and to persevere. We trust in him and not in ourselves and not in our own merit. Because when we do that, we're going to have our lunch eaten. If someone claims to be a believer and was demon-possessed, then I, I sincerely ask this, and I really don't mean this in a facetious way, and I don't mean it in a sarcastic way. But if someone claims to be a believer and they were demon-possessed, then the question needs to be asked if they were a believer to begin with. Because, again, the Bible is silent on demon. Believers having an indwelling demon and needing deliverance ministry. And we talked about what deliverance is. We need to be asking a question. Has this person really heard the gospel? Has this person really understood what repentance is? And the call of the gospel to repent and believe in Christ. And to turn from your sins and that everything about you changes in repentance. It's not just your mind changing. It's everything changes about you. It could be. A few different things. It could be, if that person truly was having issues, it could be oppression. It could have been an outward attack or yielding to that influence. You know, if we're staying in sin and we're perpetuating that sin, then we are potentially going to open ourselves up to outward attacks or outward things that that are going to invite demonic things to to influence us. But are we going to be possessed by demons? Are they going to indwell us? Where they Will we have to have demons that come out? No. That's not biblical in the sense for Christians, for born-again believers. Now, could an unbeliever be possessed by a demon? Could be indwelt by a demon? Absolutely. It could be demonic deception. In this case, if someone said they were a believer and was demon-possessed, it could be demonic deception and the lies of the devil to convince believers that he is more powerful than he is. That could be another part. And I I just want to encourage you, too, some of the things, a really good resource that I found for some of this information that really helped me was a book called Truth or Territory, A Biblical Approach to Spiritual Warfare. I encourage you to check that out. It's by Jim Osmond. If you haven't looked at that, it might be something good to look at and to measure it against Scripture and uh, uh, compare it to some of the things maybe you've read, Pigs in the Parlor or other books, and just to test it, test it against Scripture and see how it measures up. It's a really good book. It's very sound, and it was very helpful when I was reading through it. It covers a lot of different topics. Unbelievers are to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we minister deliverance to people. This is how we are able to get the truth to them, is to to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't need a trash can next to them to try to conjure up a cough and to vomit in it in order to expel a demon. Again, you're not going to see that in Scripture. What they need is the gospel. That's what we all need. We all need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we go back to Romans 10. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to bring salvation and deliverance. The only hope that anyone has is in Christ alone. We are directed by the Lord to minister deliverance to the unbeliever. You know, I go back to this question. I said I was going to come back to it. In the very beginning, in their Q&A, they said, Yes, an unbeliever can have a demon, but we have never, they said in their ministry in this book, they have ne- they had never ministered deliverance to an unbeliever. And they only ministered it if they got a direct word from the Lord. Well, you have a direct word from the Lord. It's called the gospel. Believers in Christ are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how people get set free. That's how people get delivered. That's how people get free from the bondages of sin and they get free from demons preaching the gospel and ministering the good news of Jesus Christ to them. It's called the gospel and this is clearly laid out in the word of God. Jesus Christ delivers us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. At the same time we live in a fallen world until we die. We go to be with the Lord if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. We are still in the presence of sin in this world until then. And we will face opposition from the devil. Listen, just because you're a believer in Christ, if you think for one second that you're not going to have some sort of opposition, that your flesh isn't going to try to rebel against God, that you're not going to be subject to worldly things, that you're not going to have potential things from the devil that's going to try to outwardly influence you, you're being deceived. Because you're, you're not, you've not reached this higher state where that is not possible. We need Jesus. We need Jesus Christ. We need a Savior. And we need to understand, be in a humble state to, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. No one is above sin. No one is above falling. That's why we need him. And we need to stay in the word and stay rooted in the word and rooted in the truth. We are given instruction biblically in how to wage spiritual warfare. We resist. We stand. We put on Christ. We pray. We trust in the Lord to strengthen us. We overcome the enemy and sin through Christ and being led by the Holy Spirit. Rather than talking to demons, we should be praying and meditating on the Word of God. We need to consider why we are preaching deliverance from demons to those within the church, to those who are born again and filled with and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're sitting in a service and all you hear all the time is about manifestations, that there's deliverance ministry, that we need to have all these extra biblical revelations, prophetic ministry, that you need to have self-deliverance, that you need to have all this stuff, and you're not hearing the Word taught. You're not hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not growing in the Lord through the Word of God. You're not understanding it better. You're not being uh, understanding what being really spirit-filled means and growing in the Holy Spirit in maturity then you're probably not sitting in a biblically sound church. And it's probably time for you to start looking at finding a biblically sound church. I know that 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 sounds really direct to say, but that's the truth. Because we've got people sitting in corporate gatherings, and we need to come out of that, come out from among them. And we need to find biblically sound churches where we can grow in the Lord, being spiritually mature, and glorify God in the biblical and proper way that we're being led to the right Christ. And we're not listening to something else that's to tickle our ears. And we're not listening to something that's leading us into myths and leading us down a path of deception. We want to be led by the truth. We want to be led by the good shepherd. And in order to do that, we have to know what the Bible says in context. And I'm telling you right now, because I love you and I want to, I, I want you to, to walk in the truth. If you are sitting under teaching that's teaching from books like this or they're, they're teaching you this stuff, you really need to evaluate it and test it against the Word of God and make sure that it is sound teaching. We need to consider why we are preaching, again, deliverance from demons to those within the church. This should be something that should be ministered in accordance to the gospel to unbelievers To those who are born again and filled with and sealed by the Holy Spirit, why is this being taught? What Jesus Christ did was sufficient to save us and to keep us. Again, we are going to battle things in this world, but that's why we need to understand what the Word says and we come back to the Word and we come back to Christ. We come back to prayer and we trust in Him. We rest in Him and that we continue to persevere and press through those things with His help him helping us in our weakness. He has defeated the devil. Jesus Christ defeated the devil. Believers in Christ, you do not need to fear that you need continued deliverance from demons indwelling you. As Christians, though we face opposition, we face suffering, we face hardship, we face trials and tribulations, there should be a joy within us as believers in Christ that though we face things, and yes, we're going to have we're going to have emotions and we're going to we're gonna face hard things that we're not going to be robots. We're going to feel things. We're going to experience things. But at the same time, there should be a joy that comes out of us in knowing I have a Savior that though I may be struggling and though I'm having these issues right now, that I have a Savior who has delivered me from these things. And I am going to stay rooted in Him. If you're having issues, you need to find a good, solid biblical counselor. You need to have... Uh, fellow believers around you that are solid in the word of God and they're going to encourage you and challenge you and that they are going to upgird uh, uh, you that they're going to help c- to bear your burden with you to pray with you to guide you to instruct you to encourage you you don't do it by yourself but I, I hope that this is, is really helping because I do these podcasts on these difficult topics like this And I know that it's not popular, and goodness knows I get a mixed bag of comments, good and bad. People that are really upset with me for saying such things that I do, and then there's other people that are very thankful because it brings liberation. When you get back to what the Word of God says in context, we've created so much in some of these movements that are really creating spiritual bondages for people. And they're shackling people. It's not true freedom. And Christ brings freedom. He brings freedom. Not freedom to sin. Not freedom to do what we want to do. But he brings freedom from the power of sin over our lives. And power from the devil. And to realize that through him that we can overcome things. That though we face things in this life that are hard. That we can still overcome. And that we can still have joy. Joy unspeakable in him. That we don't have to walk around wondering, do I have a demon? I'm a believer in Christ, but do I have a demon? You don't need to worry about that. What you need to concern yourself with is glorifying God in all that you do because you were His workmanship created for good works, according to Ephesians 2.10. You were created for good works in Him, and light does not dwell with darkness. And if you're battling with anything, again, find good solid teaching, find a good biblical counselor, find believers that you can talk to that are going to pray with you and they're going to lead you back to the truth of the word of God. And they're not going to lead you off into something that's going to create more bondage for you and is not going to help you to understand the truth. John 8, 31, 32, when Jesus is talking to the Jewish people there, he says, if you'll abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free the disciples if you're truly his disciples if we you and i are truly the disciples of christ we will dwell and abide in his word and we will know the truth according to his word according to christ and the truth will set us free the freedom that christ brings is not a partial freedom he didn't halfway do it and we're not going to fully experience the uh, being away from the presence of sin until we're in heaven with him But until then, we stand, we resist the devil, we watch him flee because of who Christ is. We put on our armor in accordance to Ephesians 6, metaphorically speaking. We stand, we pray, we trust in the Lord, and we know that we are victorious through Christ. Be blessed today by this word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.